Good. All right, guys, welcome back to uh, what we're going to call the, the AJ and Valentin show now. I think that's pretty much the name we've, we've decided to, to call this one. So welcome back, and uh, I'd like to say, again, thank you for all the comments that we've received in terms of the, the podcast itself and the quality of the questions that we're receiving also has been, has been sort of awesome. So thank you very much for that, guys, and I can confirm that I think this episode should be of an increased quality with uh, Valentin's audio being upgraded. So we should yes. be able to <laughs> we should be able to hear a Valentin a little bit better this time. So uh, first things first, a little bit of a wrap up on our week. So Valentin, how has the the past week been for you? What's been going on in the gym? We got any, anything exciting to talk about in terms of your week? Yeah, as far as training goes, I'm entering my second to last week for for this program, and have one week left next week and then i'm gonna take four days off like i think i mentioned it last episode you did yeah. but um, i'm really i'm actually really looking forward to switching up programs i mean some of the exercises and we will later get to exercise selection some of the exercises will stay in there because i'm still progressing these lifts of course but but i'm just i just i'm just gonna be happy about a fresh fresh new start you know yeah. you know you know about that i mean just have a, a bit of a different layout a bit of a different approach with some of the rep ranges and that will just be that will just be awesome i can't wait for that Great. and on wait it was tuesday on tuesday i had a posing session with emma hindman and oh no way was that online that's wicked it was it was online via skype and yeah. i have to say it was one of the best coaching experiences i've made in the last few years because oh, wow okay cool um i was amazed and what to what I was able to learn within an hour. Yeah. And basically only went over the relaxed poses for one hour. Wow. And let me do the front relax for like 30 minutes. And I was just, I was just dying, man, because (laughs) it was once you are used to a particular pose and the way you do it, um, it's very, it's very difficult to get rid of those ingrained habits. Yeah. And that's going to take some time and a lot of practice. But the fact that we only, did the four relaxed poses in one session in one hour just tells me the level of detail she is paying attention to is very high and i i absolutely love that so yeah that yeah. that what that got me really excited this week so <laughs> i'm practicing posing even in my off season now daily because i think it's i think now it's that important for me so i think i want to lift it up to to of nutrition and training i think posing is eye to eye with those two and yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to move forward and, and do more sessions with her. But yeah, as far as that goes, I mean, training is going well. Um, have really accumulated a lot of fatigue by now, so I can feel it in some sessions. So for example, in my leg session today, I just got home earlier. Um, I left out deadlifts because I wanna wanna really top my best next week and I just need the time to recover. Sure, so it was just sure. leg presses and leg extension and stuff like that today. And next week we're gonna finish the program with hopefully a new deadlift PR and I can't wait for that. So what's the goal? Your week, man? What's the number? I'm sorry. Uh, 220 kilos for six. Fuck. So um, yeah, I'm gunning for that. Should It should it should work. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Cool, cool about what you said with Emma. I think that that's that's a very interesting concept of bodybuilding that not many people take seriously. I think a lot of people leave it to the last minute. I've certainly been accustomed to that. I've left posing to the last minute. And, mate, I've sat in so many shows and watched physiques go to shit because they cannot pose. They displayed what looks like an epic physique piss poorly. Um, And it's so frustrating because that physique could have won the show you know that that physique could have been way ahead of where it was if they'd just taken the time to improve their posing and, and like you said expand their knowledge and, and speak to people that really know their shit and obviously emma does um she's got wacky physique as well for her like her physique yeah, is incredible man. right i mean she's dieting right now and she's she's getting coached by by jordan peters yes yeah and and i think she's doing a ifbb pro qualifier in june yeah and she's doing figure so i think i think she will do pretty well with the way she's presenting her herself but also because of her physique so yeah yeah awesome and yeah it's also i i think what you say about posing in the off season that's a that's a thing that a lot of a lot of people don't essentially want to do because of the cosmetic the cosmetic issues we don't want to look at ourselves that frequently um yeah something that i was thinking about today you know i think there's a fine balance between 
you know, learning the art of posing, which is great, but also actually seeing some element of viable progress in your physique. I think a lot of people potentially, you know, you can, what people don't realize is you can still practice positioning and the fluidity of your posing. So like transitions, quarter turns, etc. You can still practice that without having to look at your physique. You can practice that clothed. You know, a lot of my posing practice, I was I was clothed during prep. Like I'd just run through quarter turn, quarter turn, quarter turn, quarter turn. And I, but my main posing practice came from, I set a, um, a clip of me at a show and I had them calling, cause I had them the whole show recorded. I had them calling every pose and I'd just knock out poses to that recording like all the time. So I just set the scene. And when I stepped on stage, it was just like roll call, man. And that's what yeah. it should be. Um, plus, I think what plus I think what a lot of people forget is if you can notice a difference in posing during the off season. I mean, the difference when you're dieting and when you're in shape is gonna be massive, man. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if you can take before and after pictures during your off season of your posing and see how you can improve a pose, oh my god, it will it will look so much better when you once you're in in contest shape and you will notice huge differences. So. The earlier you start, the better. I mean, I'm basically 2.5 years out, and I'm starting. I'm starting to ramp up my posing practice now. And I think what a lot of people do is, and I've done that with clients myself, where I said, okay, we're like 16 weeks out. Let's look at your posing, and that is actually that's not enough time, man. So um, I think I'm gonna incorporate a lot of new stuff with my clients after this experience with Emma and just see where we go from there. But I think posing is is absolutely crucial. And like I said earlier, I'm gonna put it on the level of nutrition and training because I think it can make that much of a difference. Yeah, 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 especially when it's poor, you know. It's, it's, yeah. the, it's, it's that separation of physiques that goes from, from poor to good posing. Um, and it's the confidence aspect as well. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm a great poser in terms of some of the shots that I hit, I could certainly hit better. But I always got, I always got good comments on my posing. Um, yeah. In fact, at one of my my one of my regionals, uh, the guy that was meant to get the best posing award didn't in the end because I think he he didn't compete in the overall for some reason. He left, which just doesn't make any sense. But okay. Um. And then, then the, the judges came up to me and af after and they were like, "It's a shame that you know that guy left because you were it was it was basically a halfway decision between you and him getting the best posing award." Um, which is pretty cool because, I, like I said, I wouldn't deem myself as a necessarily a great poser. It's just I had very good confidence, very good poise, and very good endurance. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of suffer at the end of a, a long callout kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. um, my week itself. I know that you asked at the end of one of your, um, uh, yeah, one man, of your, one of your replies. Um, so my week itself has been pretty good. I'd say that um, coming into the week still relatively fresh off deloading i think two or three weeks ago um but i i have been sort of hitting again coming out of still coming out of a diet in my opinion um i've been hitting numbers now that that i haven't hit in a while especially on bench press and and, and deadlift and, and squatting um and it's certainly taken its toll a little bit uh namely on i think i've mentioned it before my forearms into my bicep the, those tendons just tend to get really sore with me especially like low bar squatting um, and i think that i mentioned in the last update the that i begun safety bar squatting and that's yeah. going really well uh, that was i hadn't done that this week actually because i went up to to rip gym in harlow and i trained with dan bastic and and dan well i didn't train with dan park but dan uh, dan park was training pull uh, doing some huge rack pulls and, and me and Dan Bastic hit le legs together uh, and Dan Dan's someone that I've followed for about a year and a half because I first met Dan in Rip Gym because he me and Jack were training there and he came up to me and he said yo like you've done a podcast with my coach and I was like oh okay like who's your coach and he was like oh, it's Jordan um, and Dan's been coached by Jordan for, for donkey's years and uh, yeah. always checks in and Jordan tells him to like man the fuck up and keep eating kind of thing. <laughs> and it's funny, it's like, it's a cool topic for discussion actually, because 
me and Dan were talking about coaching processes and and how things differ and and how and he was talking about how the way I coach and the video check-ins and the fancy spreadsheets and etc. And he was like, uh, he was like, mate, I I don't need any of that. I don't want any of that. It for him having JP send him a send him a quite a short email each week telling him exactly what to do and how to do it is enough like that's what dan needs he doesn't want a fancy spreadsheet he doesn't want a video check-in um although i think he'd probably quite like seeing a video of jordan shouting at him i think that would be yeah, I, yeah. Mate, that would motivate the fuck out of me yeah um but yeah nevertheless <laughs> eating, you're gonna get destroyed <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i love that bit of the um that podcast he did but um yeah man it just shows the diversity in coaching and what some people require so like it, it's totally dependent on the client that we're getting. Um, I think, you know, I coach some quite experienced clientele in terms of the amount of shows they've done um, and things like that. And I think sometimes, I sometimes look at what I do and how I do it. And I sometimes think it's a little bit overwhelming for some of those people because even at their experience level, they expect that, you know, the coaching process is quite a simplified experience so having a video check-in and having to log all this data sometimes is a bit like whoa i wasn't expecting to do this amount as a result of just being prepped for a show because they're yeah. used to maybe sending their weight off to their their coach each week in an email yeah. getting a response saying this is what we do for the next week kind of thing um, yeah but uh but yeah nevertheless a bit of a tangent but that's a, a one to think about for sure in terms of the disparity in coaching um i that was set that session was wicked it was it was as you can imagine pretty low volume but very high intensity i don't think we did anything over two sets on an exercise uh dan was really fucking ill because he took a pre he took he took a pre-workout for the first time in a long time and it was some dirt cheap shit that had some horrible ingredient in it and because the amount that dan eats and how heavy he is anyway he's not he won't mind me saying he's not the fittest of individuals so when something hits him it like wipes him out for the rest of the session so he sort of pummeled his way through and uh <clears throat> meant that i was able to catch him up on a on one movement but the rest he just absolutely annihilated me on so um that was fun and it again shows even just looking at because i recorded it even just looking at the video man like even just his physique his body on the hack squat and then the next clip was me in the hack squat i just looked like a fucking child next to someone of that weight and it it but i tell you what man it makes me want to work so much harder um and i know that dan's you know and dan won't mind me saying but he's he's not he's not a natural athlete and so there is a disparity in 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 that in that realm but Dan, even dan park the other guy that we're training with he he makes me look like a child as well because he's pushed up significantly he's like 230 pounds man you know yeah. and these it, it, yeah. i don't know about you but it when i see people like that it motivates the hell out of me to work harder what about you when you see big, yeah, people yeah, are bigger I, yeah, I agree 100%. I think it's crucial that you work out with people that are strong and bigger than yourself. Yeah. And I really care if they are enhanced or not. I really don't care at that moment. Yeah, me neither. Just, I, I, just, I just care at, about being able to hang with them during the session. That's the only thing I care about. I really don't question their status or if they've been training longer than me or if they're older or if they have better lever arms for that exercise or whatever. Yeah, Maybe it's just, just, it's just try to beat them. So yeah. uh, I, think, I think it's really important to get the perspective and sometimes train with somebody totally different than you used to and see what they are doing in that session and how they how they are moving some big weights because that is very motivating plus you're all also breaking down certain mental barriers that you might had yeah. when you see somebody just loading up this just loading up the bar and doing shit and you're just standing next to it and think to yourself man I, maybe maybe i can do that too so that's so true man i mean we had a we had a Cybex squat press, you know, like the leverage um, Cybex presses, which I'm usually quite strong at. And we, I think we had so many 20s on there that I think only one more would have fit on before we'd had to put weight elsewhere or band it. Um, so I think it was either 11 or 12 plates per side. And, yeah. and I, got like, I got like 10 or 11 reps with that. That was the only thing that I was close to Dan on was that squat press because 
I think the only reason why is because I'm quite strong over a squat movement pattern. So I can get onto that machine and take a squat style stance and just go hell for leather. But on something like a hack, you know, like Dan beasted me on, on something like a hack. I think we, we did a banded uh, Cybex hack. And those hacks yeah. are hard as fuck anyway without bands. Because the more vertical the hack, the harder it is. The, the, sure. one, at my, the one at my gym is a Star Trek hack. And it's like, mate, it's like 45 degrees. It's like doing a, it's like doing it laid back. It's so yeah. it's easy. You can stack weight on there and turn it into like a glute hand move if you put your yeah. legs up high enough. So sure. we had our feet like really pretty low and yeah, banded it with some, I think we actually, we double banded it. So it's fucking, fucking hard. And the things, the, the resistance would totally drop off the bands at the bottom. Um, so you'd feel like in the bottom you could pause and then just yeah. halfway through, halfway through the uh, the concentric, it you yeah. hit like a, you hit like a giant banded wall, and it almost like blow yeah. your head off. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was fun. Do you band any new movements at the moment, Valentin? Um At the moment, not. But I will definitely do with my next with the next cycle with the next program. Yeah. Because I think I definitely want to include hack squats again, and Have you got I a good think... hack in intelligent strength. Yes, it's an elite FTS hack. It's huge. It's the Monster Mondo hack. Oh, has it got the huge platform at the bottom? Dude, it is ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know what kind of person needs that kind of platform, but it's, <laughs> it's like, like taking a huge. It's stance. gigantic, man. I mean, it's probably for equipped lifters, <laughs> so yeah, they can use. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, but it's huge, man. Yeah. But you can set the angle and everything, so it's 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 pretty pretty adjustable. Sure. But with any hack, I really like to reverse band them because at the bottom. If you do a hack heavy for several weeks or months, your knees will pay. So I've noticed that. Yep. Yeah, man. Banding them, reverse banding them is a very smart idea in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, there's a considerable difference between reverse banding and just using regular bands. Sure. Um, On paper, paper, it basically looks the same because it just just accommodating to the resistance and you are actually manipulating the resistance profile right yeah, yeah but yeah. with reverse bands you are not taking away inertia because the weight at the top is the weight at the top yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're not fighting the band tension it helps you and then you're basically just fighting the weight yes, so yeah, I, yeah, prefer, yeah. I prefer reverse bands Interesting. Uh, and I think for hypertrophy that makes a whole lot of sense and even for powerlifting reverse bands make a lot of sense because you still have inertia but um, like I said, with any hack squad, I like to I like to use bands because after a while my knees just feel horrible, man. Yeah. Especially especially if you're going heavy. So yeah, I mean I, I saw the videos you guys you guys did for for that session and it looked like a brutal session, man. Especially the squat press. Yeah, um, yeah, then, and I think one of the hardest moves out of the bunch, apart from the hack, was probably the hammer strength leg press which is the um the one where the seated one yeah seated which nunez uses a lot it's like oh a, yeah almost like a 40 45 degree curve to the the um lever arm and then you yeah. load it up at the front and yeah fuck's sake like dan was like i will ban this as well and banded it and oh my god you could like even to get the first rep up like I looked at yeah. Dan after I did the first rep and I was like, fuck, fuck, am I getting eight with this? And he was like, no, trust me, trust me. Like the first rep's the hardest to get going. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I ended up like getting eight, but I think I, it makes your, it makes your head want to explode. You have to really focus on your breathing on those kind of things. Cause otherwise yeah, you'll end up with some sort of exertion headache. Cause you're just, yeah. you're bracing so much against the load. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, breathing, breathing with leg pressing. I noticed it again today yeah. because we did leg presses, and even with something like in the ten to twelve rep range, your breathing is so important, man. Because if you're getting sloppy with your breathing, you just your head is just gonna explode, and the last few reps are gonna get sloppy, and it's just gonna be a shit set. Yeah. So yeah, but with the bands, especially with with starting from a dead stop position. It, it becomes evident how important the stretch reflex is because the first rep, it. it feels like I'm in no way I'm going to get eight reps with this. Yep. And then you get the first rep and the second rep actually feels quite a bit easier. Yep. Um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. I mean, those, I absolutely love banding stuff for lower lower body movements. Yeah. And I can't wait to do that with my new program. So yeah. I, I tell you what I tried yesterday out of a mountain, out of a mountain dog video that I was watching. Because sometimes I just, when I haven't got anything particular to watch, if 
I know you're the same. If Jansen hasn't uploaded or JP yeah. hasn't uploaded, I'll, yeah. I'll I'll usually scroll through old Mountain Dog videos, but like not not necessarily the new ones because I do watch them, but not as much. Just the old ones where it's like a 60 second clip of just one exercise. And I oh, found him doing um, banded pullovers with a dumbbell. So you'd wrap the wrap the band at the bottom of the dumbbell and attach it to like a, a pin stack backwards. Man, holy fuck! That is that is a way better resistance profile than just doing it with a standard dumbbell. Like the yeah. strength curve is, is oh, it's just brutal. It's, yeah. it's so much harder to fight through a band when you're when you're in that stretch position, like pausing yeah. here and then trying to break like break through the resistance oh yeah that fucked my lats up a lot <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's one of the few occasions in my opinion where bands for a lat or trap exercise makes a lot of sense yeah and that that's that's a lovely variation from john because he i mean he's using bands on everything and i absolutely love how how versatile he uses them yeah and and especially especially for something like pullovers, that makes a lot of sense. If you're not doing cables or machines for pullovers, definitely. You have a you have a great machine by the looks of it. What machine is that? Because it looks like it the looks like machine? it's custom made. The pullover machine. Yeah, it's an it's a very old Nautilus machine. Ah, so yeah, it's one of it the be. it's one of the first ones. It's huge, man. So it's yeah. it's massive, and it got a huge weight stack on there. But um, I mean. Just with every, with most machines, with pullover machines, the resistance profile is not 100% per- perfect yeah. because at the bottom position where you're weakest, you're never ever going getting into that position. So doing like a mechanical drop set on these machines makes a lot of sense. So you just yeah. spend like a few reps in the shortened position, and then once you can get the get the muscle fully shortened, you just go into the stretch and wrap it out there. So that that works. That's a good workaround if you don't have a machine where you can adjust the resistance profile like. I don't know if you've ever used one of the prime pieces. Prime. prime I haven't know, and they look so good because you can plate, you can put plates all over the place, can't you? To change the profile. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never used the selectorized ones. I've okay. only used the plate loaded ones. Yeah. And they used to be Strive, so that used to be the old company that got oh, bought by Prime. Okay. And it was like four years ago because I talked to the sales manager in in Cologne, yeah. in Germany. Because you're, you're so, really into kit, aren't you? I'm, oh you've got God, you've yes. got me more into looking at kit. <laughs> dude, dude, it's it's fascinating because it's there's so much good stuff out there, and we are everybody when everybody talks about kit, everybody just mentions hammer strength or something like that. And there's so many more manufacturers out there that are just killing hammer strength. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that's that's yeah, Prime comes to mind where you can really adjust the resistance profile by uh, having three different pins, and depending on where you put more of the weight, the resistance changes throughout the range of motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That stuff will that stuff will always be fascinating to me because it makes so much more sense, and you immediately know if it's well built if you have a good amount of training experience. Sure. Because some people just lay on a machine and they have no freaking idea what they're doing. But if you have a certain kind of training experience, you know how to train to failure, you just, you know how we train. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. when you use a kit like that, you immediately know what's on, what's what's good, what's off. And that's that's a lot of that's a lot of fun, man, trying out different stuff. So I can't wait yeah. when you come over. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, I'm buzzing for that. I think I think you'll have to control me, man, because I'll be a kid in a candy shop and I'll end up doing stupid yeah. lengths of sessions trying to try everything. Dude, that's good. That's good. That's fine. <laughs> There's plenty of food around. <laughs> cool, cool. So uh, I think we should crack on to the the question at hand, which you got. So how was it? How was it worded? The question, and do you remember who it was from? If we can mention them at all, if you've got um... their name. If not, don't worry, but it would be nice to shout yeah, out the people. The question answering. basically was from Jim Marcus. That's okay. basically basically merged the name of Jim and Marcus. And <laughs> he wanted to he wanted to know what we think about push pull leg splits over upper lower splits. Sure. So um, you wanna go first and I just add my thoughts later on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've noticed anecdotally with trying to implement upper lower splits with clients, uh, especially those that are coming from single body part backgrounds, that their adherence to upper lower splits is certainly something that they struggle with. Um, I think the reasoning behind this is because when they go into sessions with a background in single body part training, they expect to come out of a session feeling like they have fucked a body part up. So they will come out thinking, I've just trained chest, my chest is sore, I wake up the next morning, 
and I will know I've trained chess because I can't put on my t-shirt kind of thing. Uh, and yeah. when that level of soreness goes, they think that something is going wrong and that they're not training how they used to and thus making less progress. But when you look at how effectively they're gather- gathering volume over a week, you know that from a coaching perspective, they're actually doing things better because they're accumulating less localized fatigue. They're gathering more, accum- they're, they're accumulating more volume, more work as a result of spreading it across multiple sessions as opposed to annihilating it in one. Um, so that's the, that's the first thing is they don't really like it because they'll come out and they'll say, I could have done more for this. I could have done more arms. I could have done more chest. I don't really feel like I'm working a body part. And that's actually the first thing that I ever said to a coach that gave me an upper lower split back in 2014 when I first did my first ever prep came from a, uh, I, it would literally be a pure bro split like chest on a Monday, legs on a Tuesday and then arms um, back and it would, it would be very single body part focused. So that's an issue that I do sort of come across but as soon as I start to explain why we're doing what we're doing and the rationale, they start to get it and sometimes enjoy it but Personally, I can really relate to people that end up not enjoying it because I don't really like the upper lower split because I don't feel like, for me, I don't feel like I can focus my entire attention and have the neurological ability to handle entire upper body session at the intensities that I want to train at. So like today, if I had to do what I wanted to do to like, hit all my upper body moves if i had to do a bench press a seated dumbbell shoulder press and then go into a heavy row i'd i think i'd just be a neurological mess so the way in which you have to look at programming an upper upper lower split is very cautious if you know that someone's going to be training really hard so in that scenario i'd make sure that we either had one day where everything was quite CNS taxing and then the other upper day was more so volume-based upper day or you had a, a combo. So you had in one session some quite CNS or neurologically taxing moves, big compounds, low rep ranges, potentially to failure or to concentric failure and then some movements that were higher rep range, less compoundy, you know, like, Maybe instead of doing a barbell row, you do a chest supported move and into a higher rep range kind of thing. So that's what I've noticed both anecdotally and with clients is, is that the adherence issues um, and then just the just the enjoyment factor and then the, the, the psychological side of things in terms of the focus going into sessions. Um, yeah. What's your what's your opinions, dude? Yeah, man, um, agree, agree with pretty much everything you said there. But what I really think that What's a really great tool if you want to introduce somebody to an upper lower split when they come from a body part split is that you could basically mix a push pull leg split and an upper lower split like within a hybrid. A yeah, 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 yeah. You basically have a hybrid and slowly have them adjust to that type of frequency and type of split. Yeah. And because they still have more volume on those push pull leg days for that particular muscle groups, and on the upper lower day you just split up whatever is whatever gets gets is able to be done in that session. But like, like yourself, I always really struggled with bringing the intensity towards the end of an upper session. With lower, you're basically used to train hams and quads together, right? If you have a leg day or whatever. But with upper, you're doing chest, you're doing shoulders, you're doing triceps, you're doing maybe even biceps. Um, you're doing You're doing two different movements for your back. And all of a sudden, you're like three hours in the gym and you're not training three hours for one body part, you're training different body parts, your entire upper body. And you're just completely exhausted by the time you get to your heavy row. Or, I mean, that that's a huge issue. So, I mean, you can definitely prioritize certain body parts by using proper exercise sequencing, but it's definitely an issue once somebody is more advanced or even at a certain intermediate level, because you will just be able to train so intensely at the beginning of the session that later on in that session, you have nothing left. So, I mean, I think what people should have to realize is that thinking in terms of upper, lower and push-pull legs is probably not the best 
because I like to think in the way of two ways, three ways, four way splits. And in that way, I don't have to be in that within that strict guideline of Apollo or anything like that, because I can just use different body parts and mix them, right? Yep. For example, if you have like the two-way dog crab split, right? They used to put biceps before hams and quads. Interesting, so, nice, yeah. While it's a very, while it's a very small muscle, obviously, yep. uh, you're still training something of your upper body on leg day. And for me, that was always a nice balancing out. I struggled and, with that because I've tried that. I okay. really did, yeah, because you know what? It's because my arms fucking suck. So when I walked into the gym and I was training biceps, I I don't I don't feel like a boss when I train biceps. I yeah. feel like neurologically I feel like I'm a boss when I'm going into squat and I know that I'm holding big numbers on my back and people are watching and I can video yeah. it and all this shit. Like I feel ecstatic, I feel awesome. Go and ask me to do like an incline hammer curl before I do that. And I've just wiped out my cockiness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. I mean, there's not too many crazy biceps movements that match deadlift or a squat, right? No. I mean, that, that's not, that's not going to happen for me personally. It was just the, the element of having something worked off my upper body within yep. that lower session. That was really, that was really appealing to me. But then again, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, biceps or arms in general is not the most exciting thing to train if you like heavy squats and heavy deadlifts. Yep. But yeah, I mean, as far as the versus argument goes, push, pull legs versus upper lower, I really don't, I don't think you have to put them against each other. Um, they're both tools in your toolbox and you can use both and like we just mentioned we you can use a hybrid and use push pull legs and apollo within a, a single training week yeah. and yeah. use it to uh, to basically adjust your volume and your frequency but i really don't have a preference as far as that goes because i know advanced people that thrive on upper lower splits of and course. if we're looking yeah. if it if you're taking some somebody who's very advanced like for example david henry who's doing 42 training uh, by Dr. Scott Stevenson, uh -huh, and yeah. he is he is training multiple body parts, sometimes his whole body within a single session, and it's it's working pretty well. So you cannot really say upper lower is just for beginners or intermediates. Um, it really has to fit what's going on up here with that person, and if they can buy into that approach. Yeah. So um, I'm definitely with you on the upper 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 days that you cannot maintain intensity across that that upper session but i know plenty of people that are able to and if volume is low enough it's certainly possible but i personally like to have something at least along the ways of freeway split yeah agreed i think something that i've always interestingly thought about when it comes to upper lower splits is maybe a greater favor favorability is to programming it for females over males there are a few thoughts behind this mainly based on recovery capabilities and the fact that i know everything's relative but even when you look at when you look at sort of the the recovery curve on like the cns and think things like that if you're looking yeah. at the loads that generally most females are using i know things are relative but still the taxing element of the, those some of those sessions and some of those moves are obviously less so um and, and we obviously know that from in some elements females can tend to recover a little bit better due to decreased loading and uh, they tend to respond well to pretty high volumes and still recover really really well uh, due to a sort of a different setup in terms of their tight muscle fibers um but i i also find from an adherence and enjoyment aspect most females tend to enjoy upper lower splits more um, I don't know whether that's because they come from a background of quite high, quite high volume training. So they'll come from sort of like when they initially would get into the gym, they'd, you know, they just do a bit of everything. That's what yeah. females tend to do when they start training. They just do a bit of everything. Whereas yeah. guys, you'll go in and you'll, you'll, you'll train like a bro usually to start with. So the, yeah. the initial exception into the gym environment for a female is sometimes different unless they start yeah. going with their boyfriend. And in that case, they, they come to me as a client saying my split is the same as my boyfriend's in terms of yeah. training arms as a bikini competitor sure. kind of thing. Um, yeah. 
but and, you know, I think the also the the way that I the, I like setting up upper lower splits for for females as well because it means you can usually lay a bit more focus. Like you can have maybe one or two upper body sessions per week and lay a little bit more focus onto really hitting the lower body with with high frequencies and they seem to respond pretty well to that you know i have some females on three if not four lower body sessions per week um and then their upper body session will be will, will be pretty long pretty lengthy and of course they will be training their chest because training your chest is important as a female i think a lot of a lot of females don't realize that you know i've had had some females come to me and say you know i i don't like pressing and i don't like training chest and well you don't like your you being in a good posture then for everything else because your yeah. postural ability is, is largely dictated by you pressing in a in a variety of planes um yeah. so i yeah i like i just generally like the way that it looks when i look at a program like an upper lower split for a female um yeah but have you experienced that at all with females maybe enjoying upper lower splits more than than male competitive male clients yeah, man, I, I would definitely tend to agree that females do better with a high frequency because their work capacity is just through the roof in most cases. Yeah. And at a certain level, they when they get towards the genetic potential, to, towards the genetic ceiling, they might be so strong that a, that a freeway split may be, may be warranted. But in many, many cases, you can really ramp up the frequency with female competitors because they, they are just able to recover from literally everything, even in a deficit. I've noticed that many, many times that I was able to increase training volume towards the show and I was just thinking to myself, how is this possible? How are you recovering on, on this on, on, on such a low intake and with one hour cardio a day and stuff like that. And it's just, yeah. it's just obviously not a problem. Okay. Uh, so, um, that, that, that always blows my mind, but with, with upper lower splits, I think you can also, if you have a high frequency with both, you can sell the upper day better for a female if there's plenty of lower days within a week because females always like to train the glutes, the hams, the quads, but nobody likes to train the delts, the chest, the back. So um, you can you can increase buy-in by appropriately placing those upper days within a training week and that can help hugely with, with adherence with a female client. So. I mean, yeah, I would tend to agree that upper lower days are probably optimal for most for most female competitors. And once they get very strong, very advanced, and are moving loads that require longer recovery periods, then you can move on to a freeway split, basically. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I think the final thing to cap off potential programming considerations is, like you would program sometimes biceps or arms on a lower body day for a male, potentially even a female, you know, if they're really looking to, to bring up an area. But I, I will sometimes, if the upper day is like a once per week frequency, I'll sometimes add like lateral raises or some kind of lateral movement onto a lower body day for a female or even something like, um, like a rest pause or a cluster set on like a lat pull down. And just yeah, like have them yeah. just to get just to get a little bit more back frequency, um, yeah. Because obviously, with most competitors, bikini or figure, you're looking to build a lot of the width from the perspective of building the lats and also building the medial delts. Um, yeah, which tends to be a lot of what competitors lack. So, and they tend to like doing that as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, and that's the final consideration. Unless you have anything else to add on upper lower splits, Valentin. Not really, except that you can do lateral raises on pretty much any day of the week and it's not yes. going to be a problem or a yes. recovery issue. So yeah. do your lateral raises. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I think we've got a little bit of time to cover a second question. If you're good for time, are you, Valentin? Let's do it, man. Okay, cool. So I got the question of peri-workout nutrition. So I'll bring it up again so I can quote the name and give it a little bit more context we don't have a clue what valentin eats because he's made the correct decision and not posted any of his meals online so he doesn't get fielded with a uh, 80 questions as to how to cook rice um okay so it's from a guy called lil underscore cav <laughs> lil cav okay. um we're now going to make him big cav <laughs> let's do it man <laughs> all right so he says timing of carbs not sure if you've already covered the topic I notice you have carbs pretty much at all your meals on training days. 
whereas others seem to have them just around their workout. Does it come down to personal preference? I know it's good to have most of your carbohydrates peri-workout, but stuffing down huge amounts of carbs peri-workout gets hard. So you can take this one first. Yeah, man. I mean, he basically has somewhat answered his own question because has, stuffing, yeah, your fa- stuffing, stuffing your face around a workout, I mean, is your training, is your worker quality really increased by having having a full stomach and trying to do do an intense workout with a full stomach? I don't think that's that's going to be the best, best way to go. So I personally like to split my carbs across all my meals and I – Definitely, at a certain at certain training level, you have to look at the length of the session and what intensity you're bringing to the session, and then you can decide if you want to introduce carbs intra-workout, pre-workout, post-workout, and in what in what amounts. But for example, with myself, just to give some some context with all of this, my sessions currently last very long. So my sessions are around three hours right now, and I definitely want carbs and some aminos within my training session. If your training session is lasting like 70 to 80 minutes, you don't necessarily need anything intra-workout. Like if you eat one or two hours before your training session, then you train, you just drink water basically, and after your training session, you go home and eat. Um, That's basically as good as as it gets for your peri-workout nutrition. That's pretty solid. And make sure you have carbs in that pre- and post-workout meal. But if you want to optimize things and if your training sessions get lengthier, then I would definitely introduce some carbs into your workout. Make sure it's a source you can stomach easily because people... What does your like shake fast- look like at the moment into workout? Oh, it's basically just EAAs and maltodextrin. Very simple, very basic. And it's around, depending on the session and the muscle group on training, it's around 50 to 100 grams of carbs okay. and about 10 to 15 grams of EAAs. That's it. Okay, cool. Have you experimented with anything else at all in your workout, like whey protein isolate or highly branched dextrin, electrolytes? Dude, I've tried everything yeah. from BCAs to Pepto Pro to Vitago to Waxy Maze back in the days. Um, I've tried everything. <laughs> and I have to say, at a certain time, and, and cluster dextrin and all that stuff, um, you just have to find a carb source that you can stomach easily. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't use dextrose or anything like that because you're just going to explode. But or, or, or nowadays, every, everything, everybody is against BCAAs. I mean, everybody used to use them like two years ago. Um, but I think EAAs I are use... just more optimal, aren't they, from a mo- uh, muscle protein synthesis standpoint? 100%, man. Absolutely. Um, you get all nine essential aminos and it's just, it's just, you just get more bang for your buck. Yeah. But... Um, I would just choose a carb source that you can stomach easily, whatever that may be. The cluster dextrin is, is cluster dextrin is great, but it's not it's not gonna give you that much of an improvement. And the same goes for your aminos. If you just go with a high quality EAA product, uh, that's probably pretty good. You can go with something like a hydrolyzed whey, a whey isolate. I've used all that stuff, but with a very sensitive stomach, I have to say that I ran into problems with whey isolates, even hydrolyzed whey intra workout. So I just like to stick to something that is very easily digested. And for me, that's maltodextrin in the EAAs. So you can always go the, the more expensive route but um, I think those two cover most people's needs. So yeah, I would stick to those, yeah. Cool. Um, so to add a little bit more to the discussion there, I first, first and foremost very much agree with the way that you'd set things up in terms of looking at the, the workout time, the, the length, um, and also sort of, I think the positioning of where the athlete is or the individual as to whether they're in a diet phase or... Uh, an off-season phase, I think that the importance, and Scott Stevenson has mentioned this a lot, the importance of the intra-workout nutrition, I think, should be kept as a good focus throughout the entire prep. Because a lot of people will just look at the intra-workout nutrition and think it's liquid calories and remove it. Whereas uh, your window for recovery and your window for nutrient uptake is going to be in that time period so if you want to situate nutrition for maximizing recovery you want to situate some intra workout so whether it's as minimal as i kept i think throughout my entire prep 25 grams of of highly branched cyclic dextrin um and sometimes it was it was pepto pro um or 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 eaas and i certainly went through before i was educated enough to realize the differences i certainly went through my phases of of just using the old five grams of bcaa's thinking that 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 was going to be sort of enough 
Uh, and whilst so, it might have some acute benefits, um, they're certainly not it as, good. not as elevated as, as EAAs. And yeah, taste, taste and flavour. Um, you know, I think I, I think that certainly it's optimal to look at that. Now, in terms of so to add to the conversation, pre and post workout meals. The way that I like to look at this again is whether you you pre contest, whether you're in off season. This phase is is very important for maximizing recovery and maximizing performance. So you see a lot of people in pre contest phases. Whilst it's great for adherence, saving and backloading your calories is never a great idea if your training window is outside of that area in which you're backloading. So if you're lucky like me and Valentin, we, we have an element of choice as to when we train. Therefore, we can sort of schedule our food to match adherence and performance, which is great, you know, in my opinion. Um, yeah. So I would make sure that I was training a little later in the day so that towards the end of the day where I was a little bit more hungry, I'd have more food and it just made more sense. Um, but in, a, in an off-season period of time where you're in a complete, where you're in a, a prolonged overfed state, the, the 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 importance is still there because a lot of uh, I think a lot of the time people think oh I'm just overfed so I'm going to be fine regardless of what I do. Uh, the reality is you know if you're if you're lumping in random macros each time you go into a session so your pre workout meal is constantly changing you're going to have a constantly different variable there. You could one day have an incredibly high fat meal and feel very drained, sluggish and run down and ruin your session. Uh, you could have another day where you have an extremely high carb meal with minimal fat and have a huge blood sugar jump, uh, uh, drop off and feel like absolute shit throughout your session. Um, you probably won't go hypo because you're in an overfed state, but you could, if your session is really long, you could, it depends, it, it, it totally depends on the context of your overall day of eating. You could have a, a really significant blood sugar drop and end up feeling really shitty. Um, so yeah. I like to keep my pre-workout meal fairly moderate in size, um, but I also always like to combine that meal with a little bit of dietary fat, usually in the form of dark chocolate. Um, yeah. Dark chocolate has some some uh, multitude of benefits in terms of potentially some cognitive enhancing tools. Uh, if you look into it a little bit, I mean, whether yeah. or not they're enough, don't know. Yeah. Probably a bit of a placebo. It tastes fucking nice. I find if you go for it, and I'm not talking about like 70%, I'm talking about 85 at least, maybe 90. Yeah. Um, yeah. The bitterness tends to give me like a, an element of focus anyway, because when I eat it, yeah. I'm like... Mm, like I'm a bit more awake now. I'm a bit more focused. Uh, I can feel that drive. Um, I like to keep carbs around about 80 to 90. I wouldn't really see my carbs go over 100 in that pre-workout meal because with with that, I feel like that, that volume of food, especially from relatively clean sources, just tends to sit on me for a little bit too long. Um, yeah. I like to keep fiber low around the workout window as well, just again to aid digestion, uh, potentially aiding the uptake of food as well. Um, I And then in my post-workout intro, I completely agree with uh, what Valentin says. Post-workout meal, I tend to go considerably higher carb, um, not really worrying about the fact that I'm going to have a blood sugar spike because if anything you want to release insulin insulin in that window because insulin will blunt cortisol um, or help bring down the cortisol response to training. Um, we want to get into a recovery mode as soon as we stop training. So we want to bring down cortisol, bring down all the sympathetic hormones that we've released throughout our training session and getting to a state of recovery. Um, and having an insulin spike will help that in a sense. Um, and insulin in itself is fucking anabolic you know it's why it's why pretty much bodybuilders potentially use it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the most anabolic thing there is yeah yeah exactly so if you can keep your post-workout meal relatively high in carbs pretty minimal and fat um but like valentin said there's no especially if you're having intra-workout nutrition i wouldn't say there's a ginormous rush to eat that meal so you certainly don't have to bring like a 1.5 kilo tupperware of cereal with you to your to your session, you can certainly go home. And I personally have made strides with my cooking ability in terms of preparation. So even though I was already running a bit late for for my 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 post workout meal and my um, podcast with Valentin today, I had it all prepared 
in the rice cooker. So it all just sits there. It's all cooked. Every ingredient is cooked, and it's all it's all warm. So it's nice. I'm not putting it in a cold container trying to rush it down me. Um, and I think having 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 done a lot more looking into how we absorb nutrients, gut health, and just general well-being in my off-season recently, I've realized the importance of digestion and uptake of food. So if you're eating meals, especially in that post-workout window where absorption is of a high importance, if you're rushing that meal down you, in fact, me and Valentin were talking to each other before because we were both eating, and Valentin was like, don't rush, and that's perfect because if you rush your food, you're not going to absorb it as well. You're going to place digestive tract issues. You're going to have bloating, etc., and you don't want any of that. So I find that having that window of time where I leave the gym, almost cool down on my drive home, get in, potentially have a shower, freshen up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I've probably had about half an hour, 40 minutes since leaving my last set. So it's not long, but it's enough sure. just to chill out. And I find that, that by then, my all, already my hunger symptoms are starting to come in. And I'm in, I'm in a position where I can eat. Um, yeah. and, and then, like I said, you know, it will be, it will be high carb, minimal fat and, uh, and at least 30 grams of, of protein from a, from a fairly lean source. Um, yeah. and other than that, I think, uh, I mean, what's your opinion, Valentin on to let you chime in? Cause I've know that I've blasted on a bit about this. Um, what's your opinion on uh, managing insulin sensitivity and therefore, cause I think a lot of people, will keep carbohydrates away from other from other meals that don't s- surround the workout to potentially yeah. maximize the insulin response and thus insulin sensitivity by having yeah. sort of the no no carb protein and fat or protein and veggies um, meals yeah. what's your opinion yeah. on that i think that usually depends on two factors that's just genetics one thing and yes. the second would be your body fat percentage yeah. so no matter where you place your carbs and if you're choosing protein fat meals uh, prior to your training sessions to basically backload your carbs to have a greater insulin response um, i think i think you don't really have to pay too much attention to that because if your body fat levels are where they should be when you're in your improvement season when you're building muscle then that's going to be the biggest factor in that whole insulin sensitivity issue uh, category, basically yeah. topic. So, um, and obviously genetics always play a role into that. If you have, a, if you're in a family where people have had insulin issues and where insulin sensitivity has not been that great, well, you, you probably can't do that much to have positively affect that by placing carbs, five grams of carbs here and five grams of carbs there. So you just have to accept your accept the fact that you're not in the elite department here. So I think genetics and your body fat percentage are the biggest two determining factors here. And actually one other thing I wanted to add to, to what you mentioned earlier was food volume. And I think that's hugely important for your pre-workout meal because I see there's so many times people having like a huge salad pre- before your training and I'm oh, no just way. like, well, what, what are you doing? Yeah, no way. And so um, have like, it, I mean, definitely as far as fiber goes, keep fiber down, keep fat down. But um, I'm a lot more loose when it comes to fiber and fat post-workout because like interesting. I said, yeah, interesting. because like you said, um, it's very important to anticipate the meal and to enjoy the meal and take your time with the meal. Yeah. But since I'm assuming that that person is training once a day, you have 24 hours or a little bit less. To replenish, um, and, exa- exactly. Until your next session. Um, that little bit of fiber and fat in your post-workout meal won't slow down digestion that much that your recovery is impaired. So uh, when people come to me, when clients come to me regarding nutrition, I tell them if you're training once a day, your post-workout meal can have fiber in there, you can have fat in there, it doesn't really matter. But if you're training twice a day, and after the first session, your post-workout meal definitely has to look a certain way. We want to keep fiber down. We want to keep fat low because you only have like four to six hours until your next session if you're doing two a days. And you definitely want to have everything available for a body and have everything digest very easily. So depending on the session frequency per day, I would definitely be more careful uh, with fiber and fat. But other than that, I'm pretty, I'm keeping that pretty loosely. So, yeah. 
Have you found any specific food options like fit well with you? Have you found that potentially looking towards like white rice based products as opposed to lots of potatoes or anything like that? And do you, do you tend to stick to the sort of the same foods pre and post workout? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I try to keep variety in there, obviously, but you just find out foods that just work for you and they work over and over again. And white rice is probably one of those carb sources that works for pretty much everybody. The magical I have... vertical diet. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, make sure you get your salt in. So, yeah. um, um, the, I mean, I haven't yet met a person that doesn't digest white rice well. Maybe I need to work with more people, but white yeah, rice is neither. really carb source that works well pre-workout, it works well post-workout, and um, it really depends on how you get in out of nutrients with your proteins, veggies, and fats, because rice itself is not that nutrient-dense, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's definitely a great carb source, and most people digest it well. So, I mean, I've definitely, I definitely like potatoes in a dieting phase because they are so satiating. Yeah. I mean, they are the satiety king, um, but they can get problematic because of the higher fiber amounts, so pre-workout, I would definitely be careful with potatoes, but post-workout, not really an issue. Yeah. So those are definitely two big car sources I use on a regular basis. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you probably have the, the classic bodybuilding foods in that category, right? You have oats, potatoes, white rice. And so every, pretty much everybody uses those or variations of those. And I think you just have to experiment a bit with your carb sources and see what fits best for you and what you digest well. Yeah. Actually, one thing I tried with Cliff, uh, that was, I think it was in December, January, where I told Cliff, hey, I want to try mixing different carb sources and different protein sources within a single meal and see how it affects digestion. Okay. And I tried meals where I used two carb sources and one protein source. I tried meals where I used two protein sources and one carb source. And hmm. I used where I used two protein sources and two carb sources, and time and time again, I did that for about a month. Um, I found that the meals with two carb sources and two pro protein sources digested the best, um, uh, with a huge, huge difference. Yeah. And the thing why it's probably harder to maintain that type of food setup is because you just have to prepare food. Cooking. <laughs> you have to pre pre prepare more foods, man. You just Eight have to spend more time cooking. Yeah. And I can get pretty lazy when it comes to that. Yeah. So um, it's just like like yourself. It's just easy to throw on the rice cooker and throw in some white rice and have, have a piece of meat next to it. So um, uh, preparing two carb sauces and two protein sources, uh. you, you, yeah, all of a sudden you have to turn chef. And that is not always the most... The most convenient way to prepare something yeah but yeah sure if if anybody wants to try that that is certainly something that it can prove digestion uh very well and yeah it's just a time it's a time question i guess sure sure um and i think you know one more thing on food volume a product that i've found is very very good in terms of managing food volume and, and getting in adequate calories is cream of rice because you can control the volume so you can mix it with a an adequate amount of water yeah. You can have like legit, I've sometimes when my appetite has been a bit lower just because I've been busy or a little bit stressed out or whatever, I've made like a, a bowl of cream of rice that's like worthy of 150 grams of carbs and it's like yeah. that it's thick, that it's like thick. that yeah. I can literally stick a teaspoon in it and start and making my way through and within you know, 10 minutes it's gone kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, you're the king of the, the, the huge oatmeals, right? You did those in prep every day, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were massive, man. I mean, I used, do you want to know the bowl that I used, man? Like, it's over here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, this is what I used throughout my entire prep. And this would be full. This would be full of oats, like something that big. That's yeah. my head. Yeah, man, that's volume, baby. Now, now what I use, and what I, people still message me saying, saying my oats look huge. That's the comparison. <laughs> yeah. Off season on prep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how we do it, man. <laughs> but yeah, vo volume is certainly something you want to manage. Um, and I think that I think that people actually revive stronger. Stephen Pascal had a good conversation about this the other week. I was listening to their sort of duo podcast. And they were talking about how people hold on to food volume when they're coming out of a of deficit um, because they're searching the, the satiated feeling. They're yeah. not realizing that that's not going to happen for quite some time. You know, I didn't feel I didn't feel legitimately full for quite some time, um, but I just accepted that shit. I was just like, cool, I'm not going to feel full even if I eat 
four and a half, five thousand calories right here. You know, yeah. I'm not going to feel. I can fill my stomach up with veg and just be bloated, but I'm not ever going to feel fully satiated. Um, I think now, over the last sort of month, I felt like, yeah, cool. I, I yeah. don't really want to eat anymore, but if I have to, I will, kind of thing. Yeah, um, you're, you're definitely a step. You're definitely a step ahead of me in that regard because I had a very hard time accepting the fact that I would be hungry for a very long time, even after prep has ended. Yeah. And I was just trying to stuff my face with, with veggies and it just didn't work, man. It just, <laughs> just didn't work. So um, I think Cliff has talked about this as well, that during your prep, you just have to accept hunger, man. Hunger is, hunger is not your biggest enemy. People yeah. always, I mean, probably for a gen pop, uh, if they diet, hunger is the biggest enemy. But for us, it's not really because you're just fatigued. Your fatigue levels are so crazy. Fatigue is your enemy. So yeah. um, that little bit of hunger, you just get used to it. And trying to beat that hunger down with more and more veggies is just not going to work, man. Just accept, just, just accept it and suck it up. Yeah, yeah, and you'll end up just looking. You'll end up looking at yourself in the mirror, really upset because you're bloated all the time from incredibly high amounts of fiber. And it's, it's just it's horrible, not, yeah, it's just, like you said, it's just not worth it. Um, it's best to just look peeled, feel tired, and just eat relatively normal foods with some element of higher volumes here and there. But um, yeah. you know, certainly don't want to be having a 250 gram bag of salad with every meal. Fuck that. You know, yeah. I've, I've been I've <laughs> been there and done that, man. I've 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 been there and done that with the food volumes. I remember in one of my preps, I made this protein fluff shit with a load of xanthan gum. And man, I was legit. I I swear to God, I could have gone to A and E with the amount of stomach cramps I had off that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Painful. That stuff. That stuff is the devil. I mean, I think everybody has tried it and tried to <laughs> like, yeah, tried to make some protein fluff with ice cubes in their mixer. Yeah. But but dude, that that can go wrong. <laughs> so don't <laughs> so just wrong. don't buy it. Just don't buy it. Right. So Straight away, don't buy it, man. Yeah, so yeah. 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 <laughs> Cool. Well, I think we'll leave it there for this week. I think we covered those two questions pretty well. Um, obviously, if, if, if you guys have any sort of uh, backlog of questions as a result of this, then then just comment below in the YouTube sec- section or, or DM us on Instagram. Um, if you have anything you want to co- want us to cover in the next one, let us know. But as usual, sort of a day before or on the day of, we usually ask people and uh, we'll, we'll pick a few questions that we think are good. Um, but yeah, anything else to leave, mate? No, that's it. I think great questions. Send your questions again and can't wait for next week's episode, man. Let's yeah, do it. great stuff. Awesome stuff, guys. Well, we'll chat in the next one. And thanks again for listening. See you in a bit.